Hello and welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. We're glad you're here. In just a moment, we're going to jump into this week's message. But before we do, I want to encourage you to connect with us online. You can follow us on Instagram or Facebook, and you can also subscribe to our YouTube channel and this very podcast. We want to stay connected. So another great way to do that is be our guest on a Sunday. I'd love to invite you to be here. If you're local, come out. We want to meet you, get to know you, worship with you. We'd really, really enjoy your company. And without further ado, let's jump into this week's message. How you doing? Golden baby. Golden baby. <clears throat> I would make comments about your jersey, but I love you. I love you too much. <laughs> Just consider comments for the jersey. There we go. <laughs> hey, it's good to see everybody in church today. Um, it's good to see you too. Hey, we're in we're in the middle of a. Uh, collection of messages on the, the book of Acts, and, uh, and so I just want to take you kind of there right now. So Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament, and the New Testament is, is just the, um, the portion of scripture that was written after the life of Jesus. So if you want to know what it looks like to follow Jesus, you're going to find that in the New Testament. And uh, the first four books of, of the New Testament are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they, they are not actually... Uh, about Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. They're just about uh, Jesus. They were written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Three of them are what we call synoptic gospels. That means uh, synopsis, right? So it means an overview. It means a summary of the life of Jesus, kind of a, a general story of the life of Jesus. And one of them, in technical terms, is called a polemic. That means it was written with an argument in mind. It was written to convince us of something specific. And then it goes from those, those four books into the book of Acts, which, which was written by the same guy that wrote the book of Luke. His name, the author's name is Luke. And, uh, and Luke was a physician. He was a medical physician. And he was also a historian. And, and Luke wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts. They really, they just dovetail together really, really well because it's written to the same person. Both books were written to an individual his name is uh, Theophilus, which is just a great name. Is anybody named Theo? The, any, any Theos in the house? The Theo means God, and Theophilus, it means lover of God, uh, lover of God or friend of God. And so he's writing to this guy that's uh, friendly towards the things of God. And he, he doesn't just leave, you know, you'd think if somebody's writing to a government official about the start of a new church, uh, you would want to keep it like just really like about how organized they are, how well they do things, how excellent the culture is, and all that kind of stuff. Instead, what he talks about is people being filled with the Holy Spirit, people being so overcome by the power of the Holy Spirit that other people think they're drunk. Um, he talks about people uh, being healed, like laying hands on sick people and them recovering. He talks about all this kind of stuff. It's just He just goes off on what it looks like to be the new church. And really, that's what the book of Acts does for us. It tells us what the church looked like in its infancy for the first 30 years. And if we want to know what the church should look like, we should look at the book of Acts. 
If we want to know what the church should look like, we, we, we don't need to build our, the church based on a model of some successful church across the country or a different area of the world. The church should be designed to look like it looked in the book of Acts. And so, uh, so that's what we're talking about today, the second installment on that one. And uh, real, real quick, do I have any um, introverts in the room? Yeah, you, I got I, most, most, there was only one that was like this. The rest were all like this. <laughs> yeah, that's me. Introvert. Uh, do I have any extroverts? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> so the big difference between an introvert and an extrovert, right? So an introvert is someone, it's not someone that's shy. It doesn't mean you're shy. Being shy and being an introvert are different things. Uh, being shy means you're, you're in some sense afraid of people. And because of that, it keeps you away from people. It's not that you like being away from people. There's a lot of shy people that would love to be around people. They're just afraid of people. And so, um, so an extrovert is somebody that they recharge when they're around other people. My wife is an extrovert. She's a walking party, Okay. <laughs> She just gets so much energy. You put a crowd with her, and she's just like, ah, I feel so amazing. You put me in a crowd, and I'm like, I need to go find a hole, right? Like, it's just, I love people. I love people. But, but I, I've learned this about myself over the years, that at some point, I have to go hide <laughs> so that I'm going to be okay. All right? That's, this, we're, we're all different sides. And I would say this. Whether you're an extrovert that just loves being around people, or whether you're an introvert that, that really needs to go find a, a place to recharge by yourself, I would say we all struggle with loneliness at times. I would say in a room this big, even, even the, the most extroverted people in the room, if you were honest, you might say that at times it feels like you know just a, a, a ton of people at a very shallow level. And because of that, it feels... Like no one actually knows you, feels lonely. And the truth is this, is that we all need people. Even those that are, that are introverts that like to be away from people to recharge, you like to hide behind a book. The truth is you need people. We were designed to be in relationship with other people. And in the book of Acts, the last week we talked about the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's a great gift from God. The, the first, there's really two gifts from God in the second chapter of Acts. The first is the gift of the presence of his spirit. He pours out his spirit on, on, on everyone there, and they receive this incredible encounter with God. Does anybody want to be a part of a church that experiences the presence of God's spirit? Yes. Anybody want to de de develop a home life that, that cultivates the presence of God's spirit in your home? Like that, that's a gift from God that we're not just living for him out of some sort of list of rules. We're not just trying to live for him by, by just trying to be really good people, but we can encounter the presence of the very real God who shows up in real time in our lives. I'm thankful for that. But in the book of Acts, there's a second gift that is, is shown. The first is the gift of the presence of his spirit. And the second thing we see is the presence of each other. It says this. It says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says that all the believers, everybody say all, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. 
So he gives us two great gifts that the church is, it operates from. The first is the presence of his spirit. I'm thankful that he's brought us his spirit so we don't have to do this thing alone. He empowers us to do more than we can do on our own. But the second great gift God gives us in the second chapter of Acts is the presence of each other. It's the presence of you, the presence of me, and the presence of the person next to you. Turn, turn to your neighbor and say, you a gift. Turn, turn to your second choice and say, you are too. It says this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, that it says, it says, let us consider, let us think about how to stir up one another to love and good works. He's saying that we should, as, as believers, when we get around each other, we should think, things we should be thinking about are how do I motivate you towards doing good things and loving people well? Like, how do I encourage you towards that? That, that's part of our job when we come together is to, to build each other up. Anybody ever, you ever tried to motivate a teenager before? You know what I'm saying? You try to motivate that teenager to go fold the laundry and you, you begin with like this inspirational speech about how amazing it's going to be. We're going to take back the laundry room, paint half your face blue and you know, you're like, ah, that doesn't work. So then it turns into like empty threats, you know, <laughs> or maybe, maybe in your house, they're not empty. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like dire warnings and, and, and threats. I mean, maybe you've like, you're, you're like an educator. So you, you, you put up a, like a Venn diagram. You've got all these circles that kind of like connect and you're showing like how beneficial it is. If you would just do, you know, fold your laundry, it would be incredible. The, the truth is to motivate my kids. I found, I've just found this, this is for me, the most effective way isn't inspirational speeches and it's not threats the best way for me to motivate them is by just spending time with them enough that when I speak they want to listen because if I if I only show up in their life to bark orders what happens soon enough is it's not about relationship and it's only about the rules and I'm just saying like like that's what the church should also be like this place where where it's okay to be more honest than I'm comfortable being because I know that I'm safe and I know that other people are, are headed in the same direction as me like like I might not get life perfect there may be areas of my life where I'm still struggling but we're all headed in the same direction and when we come together we can motivate each other towards loving better and doing good works together. So in the book of Acts, we see two gifts that the church is built on. The first is the gift of the presence of his spirit dwelling inside of us. Anybody want to stir up that cup of, cup of chocolate milk? Get that thing stirred up in your life. The presence of God's spirit inside of you. And the second gift is the presence of his people. This is a gift from God, the presence of his people. God's presence is in our lives to renew us daily, to, to, to transform us daily, to empower us to do those good works. And the presence of God's people is to motivate us towards acts of love and good works so we can live out the faith that Jesus has put in front of us. I just want to say, look... I don't want to just make it. I don't want to just like slide through, like just barely making it as a believer. I want to like crush this living by faith thing. 
Like, I want to do really good at it. And the way we do that is he's given us two great gifts, the gift of his Holy Spirit and the gift of the presence of his people, the presence of his people. It says that they were devoted. They were, they were devoted to some things. And so that, that word devoted, it, it means to, to be committed to persevere and to not faint. It means that it's not just persevering and not fainting. It's I'm going to be committed to. Like, like I'm in this thing. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to faint. Like, like I'm not flaky. I'm not making up my mind as I go. I've decided I'm devoted. I'm in this thing and I'm not leaving. You could, you could imagine like a soldier standing at attention in, in a parade like where, where they're standing and, and they're they're determined in their mind, I'm not quitting. I'm not fainting. I'm just going to keep staying. I'm going to keep on this piece of ground like I've been told to do. I'm doing this thing. That's what he's talking about when he says they're devoted. They're, They're committed to not quit. They're committed to not faint, to not waver. So my question to you today is, what are the things in your life that you are devoted to? I think marriage is a great example of devotion, right? Like, like in, in marriage, we're, we, we have this commitment level towards someone. Like, I think my wife has it a little easier than most people because I'm a pretty easy person to be that committed to. <laughs> I'm kidding. The, the truth is, at times, we don't like the people we're in a relationship with. At some times, we, we love them, we just don't like them right now. And at that moment is when you got to decide, I'm, I'm devoted. I'm committed. I'm, I'm, wa- I'm, I'm committed to an unwavering commitment. Like, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. I'm, I'm, sta- I'm here for the long haul. I'm ride or die. Like, I, I'm just saying that, like, this was one of the characteristics of the early church. They were saying, I'm in this thing even when it gets difficult. I'm not going anywhere even when it becomes hard. And so what were they, what were they devoted to? It says they were a devoted people, but what were they devoted to? Thankfully, Luke writes what they were devoted to. It says all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. Not, not devoted themselves to the way that they heard when they were uh, at some strange fringe group growing up. No, they were devoted to the Orthodox apostles' teaching. They're, they're devoted to the Word of God. I just, I just think I, I want to be the kind of person that, that, that I'm committed to what the Word of God actually says, not what I think about the Word of God. Like, like, I'm committed to the Word of God. I'm committed to the, the sound doctrines of the church, even when those things rub me wrong. Because we, we live in a culture where it's very much a, a smorgasbord of, of religion. Where, where I like the worship over here, and I like the teaching over here, and I like the, this over here. And so what we do is we create this smorgasbord thing. The early church was committed to sound doctrine. So my question to you is this. What does it mean when the Word of God is is difficult for you? Like, how do you respond when the Word of God confronts your sexuality? How do you respond when the Word of God confronts your greed? 
How do you respond when the word of God confronts you putting politics over faith? Because at the end of the day, the word of God, being devoted to the word of God, is a marker of the church. We're committed to the word of God. And somebody might say, well, preacher, I, I really like to examine the scriptures. Uh, that's why I examine the scriptures. Can I just tell you that's not, I mean, yes, we are to search the scriptures, but you don't examine the scriptures. The scriptures examine you. Like, like it, it, it parses your life. You don't parse its word. That, that's how it works. It divides and opens up what's going on inside of you. And so my question to you is, when the scripture examines you, are you committed to it even when it doesn't feel good? When you disagree with this message and you think maybe it's outdated or untimely or it's just not politically correct, will you allow the scripture to confront your life or not? Because many times we defend weak theology because it just suits our preferences. And I would just say, church, the early church, like what, what that looked like was, yes, they were filled with the Spirit, but also they were devoted to the actual teachings of the apostles, not pop culture. Is that okay? Good, because I think, I think it's good. Let me say it like this. <clears throat> If you're in the room and you've been living for God for a long time, or maybe you're just kind of checking out Christianity, this is for you. You must be devoted to what the, the orthodox sound teachings are, not what somebody on YouTube says. Anybody with the camera can come up with something on YouTube and make it look really good. Let's talk about what the teachings actually are. So if you're brand new, and, and let me say this. If you come from some religious background that you feel like maybe adds relig religious baggage to your life, anybody? I grew up that way. Anybody grew up that way? Right, you okay, if that's you, or maybe you don't even believe in God yet, but you're interested, or maybe you've been living for God for a really long time, and you know everything there is to know about Scripture. A, a great next step for you, like a really good next step into being, to being devoted to the apostles' teachings is to go to Story of God. We do Story of God. It is incredible. It, it's, it's not going to be, let's, uh, let's dive down this rabbit hole. What it is is let's look at the big picture and, oh, I've been looking at it, the individual things wrong because I didn't know the big picture. It's really good. Really good. The next thing I would say is this. If you're brand new to living for God, one of the ways you can be devoted to the apostles' teachings is this. Go to following God. During our second service currently, uh, there, there's a class going on across the hallway there. It's called Following God. It's, there's six separate sessions, and it's a great place for you to ask questions and engage and discover what your faith can look like. It's beautiful for foundational uh, understanding of God. The next is this. I would say... Maybe you've been living for God for a little bit, but you just don't feel like you have foundations. Go to one of our rooted groups. Rooted groups are great. They're, they're going to they're gonna get you foundational in the things of God, and they're going to get you established with other believers. Go to rooted. And then the next one I would say is this. If you, you've done those things and, and you're like, what's next? Go to our spiritual formation class. I'm telling you, spiritual formation is going to transform your walk with God. 
just do it. Why? Because the early church was devoted not to feeling good when, when we come into a church. They're devoted not to having, you know, uh, amazing lemonade outside, which was really good. They're devoted to the apostles' teachings. So I'd ask you, when was the last time that you studied the word of God? We are to study the scriptures. The scripture says this in Acts chapter 17 that the Bereans were, were uh, more noble than the Thessalonians because they searched the scriptures to, they examined the scriptures to prove the apostles right. N not to debate or criticize, but like, no, we need to make sure we know this ourselves. Not just what the preacher says. I want to know it myself. So, <clears throat> devoted to the apostles' teachings. It says this, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship. Amen. And to fellowship. Just as much as they were devoted to the word of God, they were devoted to being in relationship with each other. The truth is this, is that the community life of the church is what builds and sustains people. Like, it is, it is the relationships. It's when you go and you're hanging out in a, with other believers and they say something that offends you. That's when forgiveness actually means something. Forgiveness is really cute on paper, but when they owe you and you forgive them, that's the real stuff of faith. It's when relationships connect, when, when worlds collide, like, like, like this. Feathers never sharpened any iron. A, a feather with no opinions never sharpened an iron. But iron sharpens iron. When sparks fly, things get honed. I'm just telling you, if you want to grow in your walk with God and you want to be like a first century believer, it's being filled with the presence of his spirit and being, being surrounded by the presence of his people in fellowship. The thing is, we, we often gravitate towards people that are like us, don't we? We tend to just feel comfortable with people with similar backgrounds as us. So uh, maybe when we do groups here at the church, there will be fishermen group, motorcycle group. There's you know, word study groups. I just want to know where the BSU tailgate group is because we need some people that, that can have the, the chicken wings ready. You know what I'm saying? Like, <clears throat> but we like to be around people that are, that are like us. And so what often happens is we only gravitate towards the people that think like us, that vote like us, that come from a similar background as us, have same life experience as us, maybe the same season in life as us, same nationality background of us, same color of skin as us. And can I just say that is not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about fellowshipping with people that are just homogenous just like us. I, I'm, I'm saying we have to be the kind of people that understand the gospel breaks down all of those barriers. Like the gospel, like any division based on race or ethnicity in the kingdom of God is of Satan and does not belong in the church. Like the church should be a place where anybody of any skin color, of any accent, any of that all come together and we are all one. 
I mean, that, that's what we see in Galatians. Paul says it. He, he says, there's no longer Jew nor Gentile. He's saying, ethnically, you're not, you're not divided anymore. There's no longer slave nor free. He says, he says the business owners and the person that's got the, the, the starter job, they need, there's, there's no difference between them. There, there's, there's neither male nor female. I'm just so tired of the church making weird lines about male and female. It's, I'm going to preach about this. There's so many times all over the New Testament where it's clear that there's no difference between the two. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. The church should be the most racially diverse place in the city. Because the Holy Spirit breaks down racism. The Holy Spirit breaks down dividing ourselves based on how much money we make. The Holy Spirit breaks down whether or not we wear cowboy jerseys. Like, <laughs> ah, he's in the word. He didn't throw anything at me, so I'm good. <clears throat> okay, so check it out. If, if, if you're like fellowship, like getting together with other believers, that probably is, is a good, like I feel like God's leading me to be a part of that. Number one, groups leader training. So if you, if you feel like, like God's putting it on your heart to lead a group, that training begins today. So groups leader training is today. So you should have already signed up. But if you didn't already sign up, you can come to that, and, and, and we would love to have, have you lead a group. The next is this, is that our, our group sign-ups begin next week and the following week, so that you're going to have plenty of time to get involved in groups. Why do I do this? Because the early church w wasn't just devoted to, to a, like a Sunday experience. They are devoted to life together. Fellowship with each other. But preacher, I'm, <laughs> I'm a busy person. I can only give you about an hour on a Sunday morning. As long as there's not a good game on. <laughs> and I'm saying that's not devotion. No. That's not devotion. Devotion is to the apostles' teaching. And devotion is to fellowship with each other. And then it goes on and it says this. It says, it says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper. So they, they would eat food together. Can I just say there's something holy about eating food with people? Come on, somebody. Like, you want to speak my love language? You bring me some tacos. I'll be your best friend. Like, <clears throat> like go get a tarta or something, and we can talk. Like, that's... <clears throat> There's just something special about good food and good conversation. Every time. Christians should be foodies. You know what I'm saying? Like, we should be foodies. This is, this is, this is part of the early church. In fact, food is so central to what the early church did. Like, like, it is actually, there's a very strong biblical case that every time you do a small group, there should be some sort of food there. Like, Jesus taught around food, food. Anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> food is good. I, I, here's what I love. Is food just sort of, it breaks down those barriers of um, awkwardness with other people. When you're sharing a meal with, with somebody, it's just like I'm, I'm sharing this experience with you. And, and you begin to learn things about them that you didn't know. Like you discover things in their life that, that you're not going to learn over, you know, just a casual conversation in a foyer. I, I, people tell me like, preacher, I've been coming to this church for three, three months and I don't know anybody yet. And my question is, are, two things. Are you in a group and are you eating with people? 
Because if you get in a group and you fellowship with people, you're going to know them. And number two, if you invite somebody out to eat and you go eat with them, you're going to know them. This past week, I had the opportunity. I, I, I had uh, a dinner with, with several people that all came together to celebrate somebody in our church. It was an incredible moment because this person has come a long way. I just love being part of a church where people, like th- where they start and where they're at is totally different. Like God is doing something in their lives. So awesome. And so I was, we were at this, this dinner and we were celebrating what God had done in someone's life. I just want to share with you really quick David's story. So hey, um, my name is Dave Stage, and I just wanted to um, share my story, or at least the cliff notes of my story. But I've been coming to Celebration Church for about a year and a half, Uh, and a year and a half ago, I walked into this church um, with a pretty major alcohol problem. I probably reeked of alcohol, um, but I just, I felt something I felt God calling me back because I was in a bad place. I was in a really bad place in my life. My liver was failing, um, really, really struggling. And I walked in here and I've kind of just felt at home since the moment I walked in the door. Um, It took a couple of months, but uh, a few months after my my first time visiting or coming to the church, uh, I accept Jesus. During that process is right about the time where I actually quit drinking. Um, which was September 12th of last year, 2022. Um, Shortly after that, I was baptized in the church, and that's when I think the biggest, I just noticed everything changing for me. I I really just, I really gave it to God. Uh, I gave my addiction to God. I, I just, every morning I do a devotional asking for his guidance along my path um, and asking his will for me. And I'm just amazed at the transfer. Tell people all the time um, that I kind of started this journey just because I knew I needed to quit drinking. I need. I knew I needed help with an addiction. I never. Ex- I never expected to be um, here a, a year later. Just a completely changed man, a completely better person. The work that Jesus has done in my life in this last year is. I consider it to be an Amer- a miracle. Um, I know I'm not supposed to say, I know that alcohol is a disease and, um, and that you're never, you know, you're never recovered or you're never cured. Um, but I truly could tell you, um, as I just celebrated on, on Tuesday, a year uh, in recovery, a year sober, uh, I just, I don't miss it. I don't, I really oh. truly believe that, that God has taken it from me. And I just know in my heart that as long as I stay connected to God and continue to ask for his will uh, in my life, that um, this journey is gonna continue for years to come. So I just couldn't be happier than what Jesus has done in my life. There's a lot of people, a lot of friends, and a lot of brothers that I've made in this in this church that have been part of that and have seen that. Um, and, and, you know, they could tell you the same thing. I am a completely changed man and it's just amazing. And, um, it's kind of the motto around here these days, but I just know that this is just the beginning. Come on. That's cool, isn't it? That is cool. That was the highlight of my week is celebrating a year of sobriety with Dave. It's just so cool to see what God is doing in people's lives and transforming them. 
the early church, so they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to fellowship, relationships with each other. They were devoted to food. And then it says this, and they were devoted to prayer. I'm telling you, the power of your faith comes through prayer. There, there is just a significant difference between a mom that doesn't pray and a mom that prays. There's, there's a big difference between a church that doesn't pray and a church that does pray. Like, I'm telling you, there is power in prayer. And, and our church, like our, our modern culture, our American culture, we don't like things that don't have an instant response. We, we love things that have, a, have a, an immediate gratification, but we really struggle with things that seem like they don't do anything. And I'm just telling you, prayer does more than you can see. Prayer. And so I would say this, if you're around here for any length of time, understand that as a church, we want you to have a time and a place. What I mean by that is, is I want you to find a time in your day, every day on your calendar, and a place in your life, whether that's a chair in your living room, or maybe that's a, the, the, a parking stall at work, wherever it is, I want you to have a time and place where you connect with God every single day. Because the early church wasn't just devoted to eating good food. They were devoted to prayer. We need to be people of prayer, as the band would, would make their way up here. I, I just think that there, there's, a, there's a lost art in the church today. Maybe we'll do this as a lost art series of just, just being people of prayer. Because we're really good at being people of entertainment, of people of, uh, of, of having a good time. But I'm just saying that the power is in prayer. The power is in, is in prayer. And the church would come together and they would pray. I, I just think back to so many times with, with my, my parents would pray over me when I was a dumb teenager. Anybody else, you were a dumb teenager? <clears throat> Anybody own dumb? I'm kidding. Don't. <laughs> I was a dumb teenager and I remember my mom, she'd pray over me when I'd be sleeping. She'd, she'd pray. She'd, she'd say, God, when I'm off doing my own thing, she'd come in the middle of the night to my room and pray. She'd think I wasn't awake, but I, I could hear her. Say, God, would you keep my boy? God, would you protect him from his own decisions? God, would you bring good people into his life that can help him on the right path? And God, if he's not going to live for you, then just take him right now. <laughs> I'll just come up out of that bed like, oh, God, woman, what are you doing? Like, Don't pray that. Take him right now. Ah! We need to be people of prayer. A church without prayer is just a club. The power is in prayer. So the early church was, they had two great gifts. They had the gift of the Holy Spirit, who was welcome. You know why we don't see the, the Holy Spirit in American churches like we should because he's not welcome. They had the gift of the Holy Spirit and they also had the gift of 
presence of God's people. It's a great gift when your marriage is on the rocks, when you can just go to somebody and the presence of God's people can speak into your marriage. It's a great gift when the finances are crumbling. You can find somebody that can come and talk to you, someone that cares, that sees you as a brother or a sister, not a project. Like David, working hard to, to, to overcome addiction. But if you heard him, what he talked about is he got this great gift through it. Presence of God's people coming alongside. It's important, people. We live in a lonely culture. Americans struggle with, with loneliness at a devastating rate. And we can go into the science of why that is. The truth is, the majority of the people in this room live lonely lives. I'm telling you, God gave you a solution, and it's not Netflix. Solution is his people. Well, I already got my people. That's great. How's that working for you? Because that's why you're here. I'm saying you need the presence of God, and you need the presence of God's people in your life. Say it like this again. If you're an extrovert in the room, then you need to be alone more than you think. And if you're an introvert, then you need people more than you think. Well, preacher, I, I'm, I'm open to God's people. I, I wish, I wish, I, like, where are they at? Well, what are they doing? You know what they're doing? They're eating together, wondering where you are. Invite yourself over. What, whatever happened to just saying, I'm coming too? <laughs> My wife said, easy, easy. Simmer down now. You need the presence of God and you need the presence of God's people. That's how you're going to live a strong life of faith. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a theologian, he was a pastor, and he was a victim of the Holocaust. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote these words. He said, let him who cannot be alone beware of community. Let him who is not in community be aware of being alone. So extrovert, are you creating space in your life to be alone with God? Extrovert, do you actually have a time and place in your calendar or do you just nod your head when I say it? Do you have a space where you're alone with no one but God? Or do you just fill your life with noise because at the, the end of the day, all the noise is just taking up space. And often all the noise is just an attempt to get rid of the fact that you struggle with who you are anyway. I'm saying extrovert, you don't need a thousand acquaintances. You need one encounter with the Holy God. Introvert,
Are you making time in your life for God's people? Or is there always an excuse for why you cannot spend time with other people? In all of your contemplation and all of your self-evaluation, I'm telling you, you're missing the greatest ingredient to life. It's people. God's people. The early church were not just wild-eyed fanatics, and they kind of were that too. But they were also very much, the scripture says, devoted to the apostles' teaching, devoted to fellowship, devoted to eating food and prayer. Would you stand with me all across the room? My, my hope in this message is, is not that you would feel good and come back next week for another sermon. Preach, preacher. My, my hope in this message is that you would begin the, the actual habits of what the early church had. Because the way that this looked in the early church is in just the next verse here. It says it this way. It says... Verse 26, or verse 46, it says, so what that looked like is, they worshiped together at the temple each day, and they met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared meals with great joy and generosity. So what the early church looked like was not a Sunday experience. It had that, a corporate gathering called they called temple. We call that church. So it's that. But the other half of church happens in homes. People coming together, meeting in homes, spending real life together. Can we be that kind of a church? In the next verse, when it, when it describes the growth of the church, it says it add, that the Lord added to their fellowship those who are being saved. He didn't say he added to their congregation those that are being saved. He said added to their fellowship. What's that mean? He added to their relationships more people. More people. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would not just be believers in, in mental assent only, God, I ask that we would not be the kind of believers who limit you to Sunday mornings. But God, that you would invade every aspect of our lives. We want real transformation, God. We want real hope and real meaning that comes only through you. God, I pray that you would pour out your spirit in this house. That men and women would experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit in this church, in their homes, in their cars, when they go to bed at night, that there would be an outpouring of your spirit. But God, I pray that we would not just be inward, backward believers that just, just are all about ourselves, but, but I pray that we would be the kind of people that enjoy the presence of your people, that allow your people to transform us and change us and spur us on towards better love and good works. 
We want to be the kind of people you've called us to be. Hey, I just want to say thank you again for tuning in to this week's podcast. If you want to learn more about Celebration Church, I'd encourage you to go to our website, www.thecelebration.church, to find out more. We love you guys, and let's continue to love God, love people, and change the world. 